For that amazing grace. And it's from Savior who is alive. Amen. Let's stand together and sing that song, He Lives. And we praise Him this morning. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living. Whatever men may say, I see His hand of mercy. Just the t- 
Ruth Gilead, would you pray for us in a minute? We come to the time in our service, we're able to come to this altar and to pray together. And maybe you've had a difficult week. Maybe you've had a wonderful week and you just want to praise the Lord and give him uh, the glory for what he's done today. But we want you to know here in just a moment, this altar is going to be open. And if the Lord just laid someone on your heart, something on your heart that you'd like to lay down here, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. And uh, here at the beginning of the service, uh, to be able to say, God, you have my whole heart doing me what you will. And so at this time, with every head bowed, with all eyes closed, the altar is open at this time. If you would come, let's spend a few moments together in prayer. Let us pray. Our gracious Father and Redeemer, Lord, as we come this morning. Lord, we come here this morning. I do pray that all of us have joyful hearts for how that you have blessed us with this another Lord's Day, how you have blessed us with all the blessings of life that you have bestowed upon us. We're so thankful, dear Father, to have a Savior. We're thankful for Jesus Christ and for dying upon that old rugged cross for our sins. Those are the reasons, Lord, that we need to come to your house and be joyful today, knowing what you have done for us and how you have blessed us. Father, our hearts are joyful today that we successfully had a good vacation Bible school with good leadership, Lord, uh, which you provided. And Lord, we're so thankful that today that we can stand and say that during this vacation Bible school, that five come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Five young people surrendered their life to him. And Lord, we're grateful for that. And we're grateful for all that you've done for us last week. And Lord, we look forward to and anticipate to hear what is going to happen with our youth at youth camp. Dear Lord, just everything that we do here, we give you praise, honor, and glory for for it's in the name of your blessed Son that we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. That wonderful, merciful, living Savior is coming back again. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing the days of Elijah. So sing along with me. Here we go. These are the days of Elijah.
Give him a hand this morning. morning. Hannah's going to be sharing here in just a moment a piece on the piano, so
Amen. Thank you, Hannah. Even as you battle in voice issues, still sharing the gospel. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for that. One of the great ways that we as Southern Baptists are able uh, to minister is that we're able to do more together than we can do apart. And uh, today our focus is on uh, mission dignity. And I've often had people even during budget time say, I'm not sure exactly what mission dignity is. Well, I'm blessed here at Brownsburg. You all take care of me in a wonderful way. Uh, but not all pastors have a church uh, that can do what Brownsburg does. And many of our pastors um, are pastoring small churches that can pay them next to nothing and certainly not able to pay them enough for them to have a retirement. And so many times at the later years of their lives, they're struggling to pay the bills. They're struggling to buy medicine. They're struggling to do those things um, that, that you got to do as you get older. And so uh, Mission Dignity is an opportunity for us to come alongside those pastors, and many times those pastors' widows who are left after the passing of their husband, and, and an opportunity for us to say, you know what, we're going to be there for you, and we're going to meet needs uh, that, that may come along. And so uh, it's an opportunity for us to, to give a little bit uh, towards those, those pastors and their widows uh, so that they can uh, pay the bill, so they can buy that medicine, so they don't have to struggle uh, in the later years of their lives. And so uh, it's a wonderful ministry. I, I praise the Lord for it. It's, it's just a, one of those things the Lord calls us to do, to take care of, of widows uh, and, and to take care of and give honor to those uh, who, have, who have given uh, such service to the Lord. And so uh, that's what we're going to be doing today. If you'd like to give, uh, you do see there, there's a special offering envelope there uh, for you to give through. Uh, but it's a wonderful ministry, a wonderful way for us to give. And so uh, that's what that's all about this morning. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. We continue our journey um, as we end, come to the end of the tribulation period of these seven years um, of tribulation that have been upon the earth. As we look here at Revelation chapter 16, and we'll be looking at verses 10 through 12, final judgment. Ends. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you again for the time that we've already had to lift up our hearts and our voices to you in praise, to spend time in prayer. Uh, Lord, now as we open up your word, Lord, teach us um, out of a very difficult passage, Lord, uh, what, it, what will happen at the end of the tribulation. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be ready, that we would recognize that today is the day of mercy, today is the day of grace, today is the day of salvation. Lord, you are offering salvation today. Uh, Lord, you love us, and you are calling names of individuals today. They're here for a divine appointment with you. And Lord, I pray that if they're here and they hear your voice speaking to them, that they might repent of sin, they might call out to you and begin that relationship that will change everything, not just for this life, but for eternity. And Lord, for us as believers, I pray that we'd recognize that these are things that will, that will happen. It's not an if, but it's a when. And so, Lord, help us to be out sharing the gospel. Help us to be about the, the work of evangelism because, Lord, there's a world that needs to hear the warning, Lord, to, to at least have the opportunity to, to make the decision to accept you. And so, Lord, you've told us that, that we have been given that commission. It's not for somebody else, it's for us. And so, Lord, help us to take that very seriously again today. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, I think you probably remember back in Revelation chapter 5, the Lamb of God he took the, the seven-sealed book from the hand of the Father. And you'll remember that book represented the title deed to planet Earth. 
And we see that Jesus owns this world because, first of all, he created this world out of nothing. But then secondly, he owns this world because he redeemed it when he died for us on the cross of Calvary. And so when Jesus took that seven-sealed book, he began at that point to open the seals. And when he did, we recognize that that was the beginning of the tribulation period on the earth. And so by the time that we reach these verses, the world has been uh, smiting under the wrath of a holy God here for seven years. Now the tribulation is about to come to an end. And as the final three seals are open, God prepares to conclude his judgment upon this world and its inhabitants. And so when the events of these final three judgments conclude, we know that Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, will return to this earth in glory and in power. So he will take possession of the throne of this world and he will rule in righteousness. And so these three last plagues set the stage and prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And so when Jesus returns, he will finally receive the glory and the honor that he is due. Here is what the Bible says about Jesus. Here's what the Bible says about it in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. Wherefore God also hath the hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today the Lord Jesus is rejected, he is maligned, he is hated by this world. That hatred is only going to intensify as the days go by and they grow more and more evil. But here in Revelation chapter 16, verses 10 through 21, the Lord God begins the process of final judgment upon this earth. And so with that understood, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Revelation 16, again, we're beginning there in verse 10. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the waters thereof was dried up, and the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouths of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they were the spirits of the devils, working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh, seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. 
and the great city was divided in three parts. And the city of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plagues of the hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. You may be seated. The first thing we see here in verses 10 through 11 is the beast is plagued. We see the locality is discussed here in the verse in the first part of verse 10. Up until now, the beast has been somewhat, it seems, sheltered from the direct attacks that have, that have been placed upon this world. But when this fifth bowl is poured out, it is actually directed, it says, at the very seat of his power. Just like Pharaoh in ancient Egypt, the Antichrist with all his power, we see here he is helpless against the judgment of God Almighty. This plague begins at the very throne room of Antichrist and then spreads to cover the entirety of his kingdom. He may be powerful as a ruler. He may be energized and supported by Satan. But he is helpless to defend himself against the God of heaven. But also we see in verse 10, the light darkened. You see, when the fifth bold judgment is, is unleashed upon this world, the world is suddenly engulfed in darkness. This darkness is not the darkness that we're, that we're used to. It's not a normal darkness. But this is an absolute darkness. It's an inky black darkness. The darkness will be so complete that nothing, no light will be able to penetrate it. Surely this darkness represents some change in the way that, that light reaches this planet. But it also suggests that the power grid that, that we use for the light of, of our world, for these lights that we have today, something is going to take place that that will be done away with. But whatever causes this darkness, it will be severe and we're told that it will be complete. This supernaturally imposed darkness is, is a tangible representation of the darkness that has already engulfed this world. The world has already rejected the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, because they love darkness rather than light. This world chose moral, spiritual, intellectual, and emotional darkness over the light that was available in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Word of God. They favored darkness over the light and God gave them more darkness than they had bargained for. We also are told that when this darkness descends, men will literally, it says, chew their tongues, gnaw their tongues, because the pain here is so great. The combined misery of the sores on their bodies, the starvation from the ruined oceans, the lack of, of drinkable uh, water, and the terrible burns that they have suffered because of the intense heat of the sun at this point in time, all combined to cause the inhabitants at, at this point in history to, to, to writhe in pain. And so what we see here is a tiny glimpse of what hell will be like. God is letting the Antichrist, God is letting his followers know what is waiting on them because they have rejected the Lord Jesus. Once, uh, when, when speaking of hell, Jesus said this in Matthew 25, 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. 
there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What we see here is just that small glimpse of what those who reject Jesus will go on to face for eternity in hell. If you have never been saved, then I would say to you this morning, my friend, pay attention to what the Bible is saying here. This is a loving warning. This is saying you don't have to experience this. If you desire a relationship with Jesus, repent of sin and turn to him. You don't have to go through this. There is a real place, and that real place is called hell. And real people will spend a real eternity in real judgment in that place. Do not turn your back on the light while it still shines brightly. Come to Jesus, be saved, or one day you will find yourself in a horrible place called hell. God loves you, and God is giving you an invitation to him today. But also look at verse 11, and we see the lesson declared. When the plague comes, when the pains come, you would think that people would have enough sense at this point in time to repent of their sins and to turn to God. Wouldn't you think that when all this is going on that you would finally recognize, okay, he's God, and you'd repent and you'd turn to him? But that, not these people. That's not what we see here. They, they shake their puny fists in the face of God, and they curse him, and we're told they blaspheme him. What a tragedy, but what a window into the sinful heart of man. There are those who tell us that mankind is bad, but that there is some spark of, of the divine within him. And they believe that, that man fell when Adam sinned, but that his fall was not complete. But that's not what we see throughout Scripture. The fact is, man is totally depraved. There's nothing good inside of us. Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags to the Lord. Then this doesn't mean that, that man is as bad as he can be at all times. But it does mean that there is no spiritual good in mankind at all. Man left to himself, man left to his own devices, will only grow more and more corrupt. If the Holy Spirit hadn't come and drawn us to himself, we would be lost and we would be destined for hell. It's only because of his great grace that we would ever come to him. Left on our own, we would all end up in hell. So if this judgment proves anything, it proves the absolute sinfulness of humanity. It proves that man is an incorrigible sinner. And that salvation is totally, totally the work of grace. We don't bring anything to this equation. We don't work our way. We don't have enough religious deeds. It's only by God's grace. And it proves that even when man is confronted with the power and judgment of God Almighty, he will not repent of his sins, not without the Holy Spirit's drawing. It proves that salvation is of the Lord and that people don't just get religion. People don't just turn to Jesus on their own. It proves that salvation requires the direct divine intervention of God himself if God did not come after us if he did not come to us on a personal basis if he did not convict us of our sins if he did not quicken our dead spirits if he did not save us by his grace we would all be destined for hell you see the same rebellion the same hatred of God would be revealed in you and in me were it not for the grace of God in our lives so we have nothing to boast about other than Jesus Christ. 
Many have a false belief that when people do die, if they go to hell, that they are trying in hell to get saved, that they try to, to confess their sins, they, they would try to, to cry out to Jesus at that point because, oh, you know, now they recognize the judgment of God would cause them to recognize, oh, no, I, I want Jesus now. But I don't think that that's what the Bible teaches. I, I don't believe that's what we see in Scripture. Even with the rich man and Lazarus there in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, that rich man, there, there's no hint of, of true remorse over sin. There's no, there's no proof of, of true repentance over sin in the life that, that he lived. Even in the midst of judgment, there is only sorrow over the sentence that he has received. He's sorry that he got caught, okay? He's not sorry that it happened. He's sorry that he got caught. He's sorry that he's being punished. And so when people go to hell, they will lift their voices continually, blaspheming God. Even there, they will curse him. And even his judgment will, will bring them Will, will not bring them to a place of repentance because their hearts do not have a desire to come to him. May God help us to recognize that we need to be on our knees for the lost. We need to be pleading with God for, for our spouse who's lost, for our kids, our grandkids who are lost, for that friend or the classmate, whoever it may be, because without the Holy Spirit coming and doing a work, we will not see the great harvest. We cry out to him. May God help this sin-cursed world. But secondly, we see in verses 12 through 16, a battle is planned. So this sixth bowl is poured out on the earth, and it sets the stage for the battle of Armageddon. When this angel pours out his bowl, we're told that the Euphrates River will dry up. Now, many of you know the Euphrates begins in Turkey at Mount Ararat, and it flows south through Iraq and into the Persian Gulf. And so this river is over 1,700 miles long and some 3,600 feet wide at places and has been for centuries the dividing line between east and west in our world. And so as we know, no river really proves a problem for modern mechanized armies. Uh, we have boats, we have planes, but God will remove even those obstacles and he prepares the way for this massive invasion of the Middle East. So, how will this river be dried up, such a huge river? Well, we've seen many ways that it will be dried up. But consider the fact that the oceans and all the fresh water has been turned to blood. The amount of rainfall on the earth ha ha that we receive has been drastically reduced because there's no longer uh, a way for it, it to be evaporated. And some have speculated that water levels would be far lower than normal anyway. So add to this the fact that many dams have been built along that river. Uh, it would be very easy for human engineers to be able to cut the waters off. However, the fourth bowl intensified the heat of the sun, and this would cause the snow of the ice cap uh, Mount Ararat to melt, causing the Euphrates to overflow its banks. But either way, it will be the result of divine intervention here. God will speak, and the waters of the Euphrates will cease to flow so that a massive army can pass through. And so there in verse 12, we see an army. We see an army. We're told that a vast eastern army will use this highway, this dried up highway, created by the drying of the Euphrates River, to move forward into Israel. The intention of this army, the total destruction of the nation of Israel. The phrase kings of the east literally means the kings of the rising sun, referring 
to China and her allies. That will be the source of this army. Back in, in Revelation 9, 16, the Bible speaks of an army that numbers some 200 million. And there is only one nation on earth that could raise up a standing army of 200 million, and that is China. However, I would like to propose also that there's something else going on here. The way things are shaping up in our world, we're headed towards a showdown between the Muslim world and Jews. Ever since the United Nations took Palestine, Palestinian lands uh, and, and gave, gave those to the Jewish people, there's been a conflict in that region. And the Arab nations that surround Israel have repeatedly tried to oust the Jewish people from Palestine, and they have failed at every attempt. And though outnumbered some seven to one, the Israelis have defended their lands and they have defeated the Arabs every single time that they have met on the battlefield. And this has created great hostility in the hearts of the Arab people. Imagine returning home to a land that had been, been part of your family's inheritance for generations, only to find someone else living there and you and your family evicted with no place to go. The Arabs hate the Jews, and they long for the total destruction of the nation of Israel. We, all you got to do is turn on the news, and you can see that being chanted in the streets. And so I think that this is what we're seeing here in these verses, that when, you know, while, while Muslims paint themselves in colors of peace and love, it is a religion of death. They call for the death of all Jews and all Christians. So anyone who is not a Muslim, they consider to be an infidel in the eyes of the Muslim. We are all infidels. And infidels are to either repent or die. And so the Quran clearly states in the Quran 59:14, the Jews are devoid of sense. There is a grievous punishment awaiting them. Satan tells them not to believe, so they will end up in hell. In the Quran 4. Five, the Muslims say, sufficient for the Jews is the flaming fire. In the Quran, 88.1, it says, has the narration reached you of the, of the overwhelming calamity? Some faces, that is all believers, Jews and Christians, that day will be humiliated, downcast, scorched by the burning fire while they are made to drink from a boiling hot spring. In other words, they don't like us very much. Uh, they don't like the Jewish people very much. So it would be completely possible for radical Islam to field a massive army bent on the annihilation of the Jews in that state. It may be Islam that leads this final fatal jihad against the nation of Israel. But we also see the antagonist in, in um, verses 14, 13 and 14. When this judgment is poured out, it says three frogs are seen coming out of the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Three. So frogs are unclean creatures. And here they are used to refer to evil spirits and demons. The mouth is the source of influence. So it seems that Satan will inspire the words of these hellish world leaders. And they will whip up their followers into a frenzy for a final assault against the nation of Israel. They are able to form a coalition between the world's armies. Again, Christians have already been called home. This is after the rapture. So this will not be difficult for them to do. 
And so this final war will be satanically inspired and energized. But in verse 15, we see an announcement. So on the heels of this judgment, a heavenly announcement is made. Ever since Jesus ascended back into heaven, it has been prophesied that he would return. And seven years prior to these events, Christ did return, and he received his bride into heaven. That was the rapture, and these verses refer to the second coming. Jesus is telling his precious people to hang on just a little bit longer. His coming that has been imminent has now become immediate. He is at the door here. The saints of God are encouraged to keep the faith for just a few more days. The Lord is coming. He is coming, he says, like a thief. The world will not see the signs, but he will come in an instant and he will bring judgment in him. Jesus lets his people know, however, that their waiting is over. But then we see Armageddon in verse 16. This army has been assembled by Satan to destroy the people of God. The devil's still thinking that he is in control here. Uh, just a, a quick glance at scripture paints a, a different picture altogether, though. In verse 14, it tells us that this army is being gathered to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Verse 16, it says, he gathered them together. Satan may think that he's in control of these events, but the real ringmaster here is God himself. He gathers the nations of the world to the, to the valley of Megiddo. Now, Megiddo is, is that place that we've talked about before in, in a previous message. Um, Armageddon is the hill city of Megiddo. And so Megiddo is the site of some very famous biblical battles. Again, it was here that, that Barak and Deborah defeated the Canaanites. It was here that Gideon defeated the Midianites. It was here that, that King Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in 1 Samuel chapter 31. It's also here that King Josiah met his death in 2 Chronicles chapter 35. So Megiddo, it's in this valley the armies of the earth will come together to destroy the king of kings. But then thirdly, I want you to see in verses 17 through 21, Babylon is plundered. The seventh bowl is poured out. And when it is, this awful wrath of God and his judgment is poured out against the earth. And judgment will end after this. And so we see here in verse 17 that a sentence is rendered. As this seventh bowl is poured out, a voice from the throne says, It is done. This statement signals the fact that judgment has been reached. And, 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 and ended at this point. The Lord Jesus is on his way. He is prepared to take back everything that Adam lost in the fall. He is preparing to claim everything that he purchased at the cross. Jesus is about to receive the glory that he is due. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, It is finished. There he announced his victory. Here he cries out, It is done. Here he announces his verdict. There he cried out in joy. Here he cries out in judgment. He is letting us know that we have reached the end of judgment. Glory is just around the corner. In verses 18 through 21, we see a system is ruined. God has been in the process of, of judging this earth all the way through the tribulation. Wave after wave of divine wrath has washed over this world and its inhabitants. And still the world system stands and continued defiance to the will of God in heaven. And here, one final stroke, God destroys the last vestige of human power. In one final judgment, God removes the last of man's props. God destroys everything that man has built and glories in. In a moment of time, the world is brought to its knees. 
So just take a quick glance at this. In verse 16, we see a great earthquake devastates the world. Now, earthquakes have always been a part of living in this world. Earthquakes happen all the time, and most of the time, thankfully, we don't even know that they're happening. But there have been some great earthquakes. Many of you still remember in 2004 um, that, that a, a huge earthquake triggered the tsunami that devastated the South Pacific. And that earthquake, um, to get an idea of the power of it, uh, was considered to be uh, greater than the equivalent of all of the nuclear explosions that have taken place, 510.4 megatons. This South Pacific earthquake was 64 times larger than all of those nuclear explosions combined. So that, that's the kind of power that that earthquake had. However, this earthquake that is spoken of here in Revelation will transcend. The power of this earthquake will be, will be unmeasurable. The devastation will be immense, we are told. And in verse 19, we see the cities of the earth are affected. We're told that great city, probably referring to Jerusalem, that ancient city, it suffers terrible damage here. The Old Testament speaks of great geologic, geological changes here in the city of Jerusalem. The rest of the cities of the world will be devastated as well, though. Washington, D.C., New York, Los Angeles, Tokyo, London, Paris, Rome, Moscow, all those cities of the earth are destroyed in, in, in one fell swoop. All of the centers of pleasure and economic power are taken away in a moment of time. But then in verse 19, Babylon is judged. We see that this uh, is, is fleshed out in great detail in, verses 17, in chapter 17 and 18. But for now, we need to understand that the seat of Antichrist's power and the seat for the false prophet's power will be destroyed. The city and the system behind it will suffer more than the rest of the world. In verse 20, the islands and mountains are destroyed. And the entire topography of the world will be changed. The continents, it seems, will shift. Islands will be swallowed up in the massive tsunami. The mountains will crumble and disappear. The world as we know it will, will, will be changed. The Lord is preparing the world for the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in, in, in verse uh, 21, we see these gigantic hailstones that are spoken of. Gigantic hailstones will fall on men. A talent was the amount of weight that a full-grown man could reasonably lift. Now, um, for me, that would be a huge amount of weight, right? Uh, the, the, you know, uh, maybe not. Uh, but at this time, it was considered to be somewhere between 100 and 125 pounds. How many of you men are just lifting 100 to 125 pounds every day? But that's what this was considered to be. So let's go to the low end of that. At 100 pounds, can you imagine 100 pounds of ice raining out of the sky as hail? Now, we've had some bad hail around here, but I've never seen a 100-pound ice ball coming from the sky. I, that, that would send you running. And so everything that is left behind from the devastating earthquake will be pulverized on this earth that is covered by these shards of ice. Any crops will be destroyed. Any cars that are left, any houses that are left, anything of value will be totally wiped out by this terrifying plague. But then, notice also that all sinners are revealed. In verse 21, all sinners are revealed. Even after all they have been through, the inhabitants of this world refuse to repent. They continue to blaspheme God. It's, it's hard to imagine that the human heart could be this hard, but it's what we see. The condition of the sinner under judgment proves that lost people are totally depraved and they will not repent. Again, without the grace of God, without God himself working in these hearts of ours, we wouldn't repent either. I praise the Lord, though. 
that at the age of nine, that God and his great grace chose to speak into my young life. And at the age of nine, he had grace upon me. He had mercy upon me, and he called my name. And then I, because of the Holy Spirit's prompting, was able to receive him into my life. What love, what grace, what a Savior that would condescend to love sinners like me and like you. Uh, that he would choose to love us to this extent. He was good to me. Even when I was in rebellion against him, he came after me. It was his goodness that won my heart, and I'm sure that it was his goodness that won yours. It was that loving care that he showed for us. It's, it's his great desire to come after sinners that causes any of us to say yes to him. But I'll call your attention to verse 15. Here's the good news. Jesus is coming and his counsel is for people to be ready because we don't know when he will return it could be today in the rapture but listen people it could be today in death in just the last few weeks my mom has gone on to glory and then just yesterday my my uncle went on to glory we're not promised tomorrow none of us are none of us are and so if he were to come and to call your name today. If the rapture were to come, would you be ready this moment? Would you be ready right now to stand before a holy and righteous God and to be able to plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because listen to me, you're not going to plead your good works. You're not going to plead your church attendance. You're not going to plead a, a baptism. You're not going to plead giving to missions. The only thing you're going to be able to plead is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that will get you into heaven is when Jesus says, he's with me. She's with me. That's what's going to matter. So you don't, you, it doesn't matter how long that your family's been a member of this church. Do you have a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that this morning? Because if you need to be saved, I'd love to tell you how you can be saved. And it's so simple that I had five little kids this week that understood it to the place with tears in their eyes that they cried out to Jesus and they were saved. And so you may be in your 70s or 80s or 90s and you may be saying, well, I'm not sure that, that I have that kind of relationship. Let's get it straight today. You may be a child. You may be a teenager. You may be a young adult. And you think that you have, you may think you have 60 or 70 or 80 years to go. You may not. You may not. So let's get it straight today. And if you've strayed away from the Lord, you need to remember that he still loves you and he's calling you back right now he's saying come home maybe you feel like that prodigal son and the lord's saying come home come home and know that he will embrace you and he'll clean you up you know put a robe on your back sandals on your feet a ring on your finger and he'll say you are mine and i'm going to continue to use you maybe you need to join this church family and make this your church home i don't know what what it may be that you need to do today. Maybe you just need to spend some time here at this altar. But however the Lord's speaking into your heart today, would you say yes to him? These are events that will take place. I can't tell you if it's tomorrow, if it's a year from now, if it's 10 years from now, or 100 years from now. But these events will take place. And your death, or the rapture, will take place. Are you ready? Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for the warning that you give us here throughout the book of Revelation, but especially right here in chapter 16. 
Lord, none of us want to be around when this is going on. We want to be at home with you. And so, Lord, today we can, we can know that with certainty because we can have a relationship with you. Lord, you're calling out. Lord, you're still a small voice is calling out right now. And there's some folks that need to make decisions today. And I pray that they wouldn't be stubborn, that they wouldn't be hard-hearted, that they wouldn't be like these who even in the midst of judgment are still screaming out blaspheme against you, who are still in rebellion against you. Lord, our hearts may be in that place right now. Help our hearts to be softened. Lord, I pray right now that there's some folks that recognize you're speaking directly to their hard heart right now. That you're saying, this is the warning. I don't want you to be like these people. I want you to experience my grace. And so, Lord, I pray even right now, in this very moment, there are folks who you're speaking to who are going to surrender to your grace and who will say yes to you. Lord, do the work through your Holy Spirit that only he can do. And, Lord, help us to rejoice in it today. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.